to the World of the Spirit podcast. My name is Elizabeth Young. And I'm Kate Chapman. Join us each week as we share our lives to show you and remind ourselves how spiritual principles can solve all our problems. Hello, Kate. Hi, Elizabeth. What's the topic today? We're going to talk about, we were just talking about, talk a about. spiritual law. <gasps> oh, yeah. Comes from the book by Deepak Chopra, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, a practical guide to the fulfillment of your dreams. Dum, dum, dum. I like that. Okay, so this is actually this, I love this book. And the, the law that we're going to talk about today is the law of detachment. And I, I just been having some thoughts around this that we were discussing, and we just thought it would be a good topic to bring here to the podcast. And that is this idea of attachment being attached to poverty consciousness and detachment being attached being attached to abundant consciousness and I guess the best way to say it is like the chasing symbols is like settling for the map instead of the destination when I'm attached to something attached to the outcome it literally constricts the flow of life of this infinite possibility that we've talked about before here on the podcast from coming through. And so I think that's why he attributes attachment and poverty consciousness, because if things can't flow through, well, this is poverty consciousness, which then materializes into an experience that looks like poverty. However, on the flip side of that, if I remain in a detached state, he attributes that to wealth consciousness because the flow it frees up the space to create creation, infinite power, infinite potential, the spirit of the universe, all that is and ever will be can flow through, right? So without, so it doesn't mean that we're detached and we walk around and we're like, I'm not attached to you <laughs> or anything like that. It's about detached involvement. So we're involved, but we wear it like a loose garment, right? where I've heard, you know, one of my favorite things, wear life like a loose garment. We're not constricted to the way in which it has to end up. So one of the things that Deepak says is the law of detachment, we can have goals and we do, we can still do goal setting and this kind of thing, but between A and Z, right? From where we are to what it is we want to get or, um, manifest in our life, there are an infinite number of possibilities in the way in which that result may or may not come to us, or could come to us. And when we're in the flow, and when we have this detached involvement, so we are involved, but we're detached from the outcome, or and we're also attached from the way it is going to come, right? then we're open to life and the flow of life. And we may be taken into any one of a number of directions, and we may completely change course at any time. 
and we're free and open to where life, the infinite possible existence, universe, spirit of the universe wants to take us. I'm so fascinated by that because in my spiritual journey, there's been a lot of scarcity thinking revealed and scarcity coming from a place of there's not enough time, money, jobs, love, people ad infinitum. And then watching that become, go from being a governing idea to being a needs to be discarded old idea to watching how it arises less and less in life. And then I also thought about how we should give an example or several examples, and you might have a great example in mind. A, a really simple one would be like this podcast, which is it germinated from us having a conversation and we just thought these conversations are so helpful to both of us. There have to be other people that it might be helpful to. And that was it. It wasn't, we want to make money. We want to be famous. We want to get out there. We want to join a conversation. We want to be personalities. We're just like, what if we just recorded it and saw if it could help anybody? And I don't mean to make us sound like, you know, just these pure altruists, but it really, there wasn't any design that you and I had. Now it turns out that you have an enormous skill set that allows the building of all the back end of the podcast to be executed and put into the world. But you and I have no idea how long we'll do it, how many episodes we'll do. It's really completely up to you and I just continue to show up and to check in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good example because I actually had a podcast once um, a while, a few years back, quite a number of years back. And we, it was me and Phil, it was called The Possible Podcast. And it was so fun. And we would get together and we would just like have joy and laughter. And that's why we did it. And we, we talked about principles and practices and we exhausted those principles and it just kind of fizzled out. It got to the end where there wasn't really anywhere else to go at that time. And I remember distinctly that there was a real desire within me to go deeper, to go to a deeper conversation. And for whatever reason at that time, you know, Phil and I were not the right combo to do that. And so this really evolved out of this deep longing within me to have these deep conversations. Now, I fortunately get to have these kinds of conversations with many women in my life and, and men and being in recovery that affords me that ability, you know, that, that gift. But when we were having a conversation like this and one of, like you just shared, we were like, let's, God, we should record this there. I'm sure there's other people out there. And, and the truth is that it does really help us so much. And so we're really just doing what we love to do. You know, even before this podcast, we were looking into maybe changing the tech piece and it was just getting, it just wasn't fun. <laughs> and I was like, why don't we just do what we do, which is have our conversation and have that, have that joy that comes from discovering what else is still there to be discovered. And there's so much, right? 
I think until our last breath, we're just going to keep, keep discovering. I love learning. I love exploring. Um, one of these things I want to bring up, though, we talked about in the beginning, I opened this up with the detached involvement and um, in order to, you know, in order to create a wealth consciousness, we must embrace the wisdom of uncertainty. And you and I have been talking about this idea of un the wisdom of uncertainty and Deepak has was the first person I heard say that they also in the Vedic tradition, they say the the wisdom of insecurity. And I just found that so fascinating because I was like, what? The wisdom of insecurity? I mean, my whole life I've been searching out security and certainty. And now you're going to tell me at 52 years old, there's wisdom in insecurity and uncertainty. And so when I first heard him say this, it just really piqued my curiosity. And I have delved into the writings around it and then what I do is just really watch and listen in my own life and to my own experience to see, is this true? Is this true for me? And I'm, I have to say that I'm, I'm really liking this idea of uncertainty. And one example of how it plays out, we were just talking at, over lunch. We're looking at the menu, Kate and I are looking at the menu and we're both have changed, you know, the way we're eating and just making conscious choices around what we're putting into our body and all of this. And, and I, I said, you know, I still looked at the burger, like I go to not that there's anything wrong with a burger, but just for me, like, that's my default, right? I have a default, I'm going to go to the burger and fries, I'm going to do the what you know, I have my defaults, right, my conditioning. And what I realized today, and I couldn't articulate it before today without this language and the reading that I've been doing in these Deepak Chopra books, is I am more interested in the experience of something new than which, i.e., the uncertainty of what's going to happen, than I am in the certainty of what I'm going to get if I eat my burger. And so today I got to have this bowl with fried, no, it wasn't fried. What was it? A grilled, grilled pineapple with shrimp and like this delicious Hawaiian dish that I wouldn't have normally eaten. And I noticed that over the course of this past year and making different choices around the food that I'm putting into my body, I'm having so many different kinds of experiences. You know, I used to joke years ago when I got in recovery, like, I literally, my diet was pizza and bagels. I'm a New Yorker. That's what I ate, pizza and bagels. And I was kind of proud of that. And so it's taken a lot of unraveling to get to a place where this, these old ways of being have been first seen, right? I've become aware of them and then surrender. I've got to let go of them and make different choices. So I'm loving this idea of uncertainty and insecurity. It's just making me so happy and giggly inside. And um, yeah. Well, I remember probably 10 years ago, maybe I was working on my conception of God. And for whatever reason, it was an uncertain time. I think I was studying for grad for a grad school entrance exam. I was preparing to leave New York and go back to Texas, but I didn't know where in Texas. And I was um, being invited to expand my conception 
of my relationship with the creator of the universe at the time. And I had this moment of realis- realization that to be in proper relationship to reality, the future, which means the exact moment after this present moment and that next moment and that next moment is completely unknown. So I had to expand my conception of a higher power to something that included the unknown and was also trustworthy because I could look back and see that I had never been able to predict any of the wonderful things that had come to me. And by not knowing them, that had not deprived me of them coming to me or me experiencing them. And I realized that this God mystery, this one power had to be infinitely trustworthy in the same way that the unknown had to be trustworthy because it is the only thing that there is. So just because I don't acknowledge that the unknown is real doesn't mean that it's not governing and doesn't mean that it's not true. And so when you say the law or I forget the phrase you used, it just makes complete sense to me because what we have in our lives is the illusion of knowing what is going to come, which is simply habits of predictability, right? Mm -hmm. We don't actually know. We don't know anything that's going to happen. And there are many moments in our lives that totally prove that. Yeah. Yeah. But however, we're kind of seduced into this idea that we know because of past experience, right? We hold on to past experience and think, well, because it happened like this before, we then set ourselves up with expectation that, oh, it's going to happen like this again. And then when it doesn't happen like that again, or let's say it happened like this with so-and-so, this particular person, why is it not working the same way with this person? And so the way in which I'm experiencing life is always unknown. And yet thinking about the wisdom of uncertainty or the wisdom of insecurity, because what is security, right? Security is me wrapping myself up into that which I think I know I need or I think I want. If I have this amount of money, then I'll be and feel secure. But the reality is I've shown up to a place in my life where many times where I had the goal, I had the desire, got to it, achieved it. And then there wasn't that sense or the idea of security. Because why? Because it's like we opened it up. That's just the map right? That's the symbol. That's not the destination. That's not the actual experience. And the sim- money is a symbol. All material things are symbols. Everything I see, touch, taste, hear, these are symbols. Symbols. So what am I chasing, right? And I think in the, what is it? Bottles are but a symptom. That's like one of the main lines in the books. Alcoholics Anonymous, bottles are a symptom. And that's why we have like 
I don't know, a thousand other types of 12-step fellowships because it's, it's not the thing that we're chasing, right? It's not the person that we're addicted to or the substance or the money or the house or the, it's not that. There's something so much deeper than that. And I believe for myself, it's I've forgotten who I am. You know, I forgot who I am. And we were talking about that at lunch as well. You know, that idea of, it came to me a couple of weeks ago where it's like there's only two ways of being. And when I am in a state of harmony with my extended body, right, my environment, that which is around me, so my physical body, the people around me, when there's harmony, there is this joy and this curiosity and this aliveness that is asking me to come deeper into itself, into who I am. And it's like a whisper and it's soft and it's gentle. And then when I'm experiencing in the world around me, people are disturbing me. Um, I hear loud sounds, there's yelling, there's conflict, there's disharmony. The universe is saying, wake up, wake up, come home. You have forgotten who you are. And I was like, whoa, oh my God, everything could be reduced to those two, those two ideas. It's like, am I hearing a whisper, come deeper, gentle, soft whisper, asking me to be calling me into itself or is it screaming at me wake up and usually that looks like the form of another person <laughs> yelling or my son unplugging the alexa when i'm trying to play him a beautiful morning song and he doesn't respond in the way that i think he should you know any and every disturbance right there is a call for me to come home and i just love that i just i just think it's magical life is magical yeah when i think of the the wisdom of insecurity i also think of right my first reference point is that the the need for security as a human instinct as something that's in me like must have food must have shelter must have um, doors in the walls and windows in the walls to keep something out from coming in. And, and yet at the same time, how the demand, the instinctive demands for security are not proportional to what I actually need as a spiritual being and, and how it comes back to me to, as a question of power is is wanting to feel powerful and that being an expression of ego for me is another dimension of a demand for for egos egos version of security which is well if i need a relationship to feel secure i need a job i need a bank balance i need x house i need x car what I'm really out in the world doing is trying to overpower and dominate and acquire and add. I've got to add more. I need more. And then when I get the more, I'm going to feel different. But as you said, 
we go out, we listen to that call, that counterfeit call to meet a desire for security. And, and we live in a culture that is very much more is better and then more, but then bigger and then more. Yeah. And that, 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 and then it becomes an end in itself, but we find ways to make it look spiritual or to make it look, to normalize it. And then the way that I know that I am serving ego and not oneness is when I get the thing, how does it feel? And when I get the thing and there's an emptiness, oh man, is that an important feeling to sit with? Mm -hmm. I went out and got the thing and I'm not happy with it anymore. Why did I go out and get the thing? And of course, in science, we know about the power of habituation. It's like my brain is focused on the blue purse. I want the blue purse. I want the blue purse. (laughs) I go out and get the blue purse. And a month later, it's just like all my other purses. And it's, it's a fabulous, useful, evolutionary, brilliant quality of being a human animal is we are very adaptable. But what that means is in this world where there aren't lions chasing us is I, I listen to what the inside says it wants. I don't discern which part of the inside wants that. Is that higher spirit or is that lower self? I go get the blue purse. I, and I, I, I don't get a lot of the things that maybe I should be focused on like helping you because I need my freaking blue purse. And then it goes in my closet and it's just like a purse. And then I feel empty and then I feel sad. And then I'm like, then I beat myself up because it didn't give me what I wanted because what I wanted a blue purse can't give me. Exactly. There is uh, therein lies the problem of the psyche, right? If I follow my mind now, it's funny that you say, you know, buying the blue purse, I'm looking to trade in my car and I want to get a different kind of car. And so I have been, um, a couple of friends of mine have the kind of car that I would, I'm thinking of buying and I, they have different models of it. And so I have been test driving friends' cars and it's so interesting because I watch and I, and I really love listening and when I say listening, I just mean listening in all the ways, right? Like listening for what my mind is trying to drum up, you know, what story is it trying to create in the moment about whatever's happening around me, or just listening to others and seeing what the mirror is around me, like what is the universe serving to me to call me, you know, like I just described that whisper or um, you know, is it that whisper and, and just delving into the joy and, and the harmony of the moment. And so I had this experience where I was in one of the cars. And when I went to get in it, the floor was dirty. And there was like, it needed to be cleaned. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's going to happen to my new car. <laughs> and when I get my new car, oh my <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's not going to be as exciting as it is right now as I'm researching, reading, because it's a completely different model. You know, it's moving from gas to completely electric and all of the learning and all of the fun stuff, right? All the fun stuff 
the newness, like, oh my, recently my brother shared this and it was so brilliant. And we were, he was taught, we were talking about, you know, think kind of moving from thing to thing. And, and I was, and he said something like, I get bored. And, and I went, and, and I, I do the same thing. And so I said, wait a minute, tell me more about that. Like, what do you mean you get bored? And he's like, well, I don't know any thought for a second. And then he goes, well, I don't know necessarily that it's that I get bored. It's like, I have the night, you know, the, the nice new shiny new syndrome you know if it's new you want it and you and as soon as he said that he summed up my 52 years of life <laughs> it was like I heard it for the first time and I went oh my god that's me you know and it's it's actually could be an asset because I love to learn and I love to I can consume information and learn new things very quickly and it's it's a beautiful thing and I love that about myself, but also, you know, it's like when I'm done, I'm done. I'm like, okay, next. And so when I got into the car and I saw that, I saw my mind move in that way. I saw the energy flow of, in that. And I went, the same thing's going to happen to mine. And so the reason, and, and I think that's really wonderful that I was even able to see that because I get to ask the bigger question, which is, you know, get a new car, don't get a new car. Like it doesn't, do I need a car? No. Do I have a car yet? What's my motive? Why am I, why am I shifting? Because it really feels to me more like an environmental extended body type of shift that's happening for me. And it wasn't something that I thought up on my own. It came out of meditation you know, which oftentimes, you know, I have a practice that I do and oftentimes throughout the day thoughts will come and they're definitely not mine. And I'm like, huh, where did that idea come from? And so I've just been honoring that and exploring and finding. So it's not to say we don't get the blue purse or we don't get the, the car. It's just, what's my motive? Why am I moving towards this? If I think it's going to bring me some sort of, oh, it's going to be so great to have this kind of car. And well, no, you know, my whole life was that way. And so until I discovered that I was tired of eating the map, right? I'm, I was just done eating the map. I was tired of maps. I wanted the destination. And the destination is always now. It's always here. It's always present. It's always divine. And I want it. And it can't be gotten later. And so, you know, if I'm at peace and in harmony and things are okay, and I just am opening to this shift to help the environment and my fellow man, yeah, trade the car in, like not a big deal. And it's also going to flow in a way that is natural and effortless. And I don't have to... Um, do anything but my part, which is to do the research, ask the questions. It was great because I had two guys. They both had Teslas. Oh, I didn't want to say the name of the car, but there you go. They both have, <laughs> there you go. They both have Teslas, electric cars, and they're both going back and forth. One saying how great it is and why it's wonderful to have an electric car. The other one saying how it's just not what he thought and here's why it's not good. And I got to just sit there and listen and that's, ex it was beautiful. I just wanted them to give me all the nooks and crannies. And they both were living in two worlds. One was in this world where it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the other one was living in a world where there were problems. And I wonder outside of their 
driving their vehicle experience what their life is like, you know, and I, and I kind of know both of them. So I sort of know, you know, one moves more in harmony and the other one moves more um, with disharmony. It's so true. We really do give feedback, not necessarily about the thing, but from where we are. So Alison Armstrong talks about how point of view in our culture is not what we're looking at. Your point of view is where you are looking from. That's right. And so we are in different relationships with our ability to move our point of view. For instance, as children, we do not have a lot of choice about our point of view. We are taught certain things, whether they're religious, economic, political, social, and that's, you know, how we interact with other kids growing up is we're all just speaking at each other, generally repeating whatever we've heard at home in the ways that we hear it at home. And then as we mature, if we are, you know, lucky enough to get to do that and to, you know, survive adolescence, um, we can then wake up to other ways of being and other ways of seeing. And we make choices sometimes with eyes open. And sometimes, you know, we were talking at lunch about how many levels of consciousness are there? Is it, is it just two? And we were talking about different teachers we've read and their perspective on how many levels of consciousness there are. And one thing I asked you is kind of a hypothetical question when we were talking about it a couple of days ago was, well, once I wake up and become conscious that I don't live in a mental and physical world, I live in a spiritual world, can I fall back asleep again? Do I dip back into the mental and physical world? Do I, you know, in the world of the spiritual awakening, we wake up, but then your, your guidance has always been, and we got to keep waking up, keep waking up, keep waking up because we wake up to new things. And so my question to you was, well, if I'm conscious, eyes wide open, as conscious as I can be in this moment, then where do I go from there? Do I just keep waking up or do I also go back to sleep? Once I have the point of view of abundance, a flow of the material world being manifestation or symbols, am I always really going to stay there? And then of course, in recovery, we know that any state requires maintenance and continued growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. That was a conversation we were having because, um, because that came up for me, I actually texted our dear friends, um, Pat and am very excited to have a conversation with her about this. She's been on the path quite a while and, um, gave me an amazing birth session yesterday for the first time in my life. I was rebirthed. It was so exciting, but we'll talk about that on another podcast. Um, but I don't know, you know, the, when you say go to sleep, what, what comes for me what comes to me is what Eckhart Tolle says. He says that eventually thinking is replaced with awareness. And am I in a state of awareness at all times? Or do I fall asleep? Or do I go back to thinking? And, and my experience is that 
sort of like we've talked about before with the samskaras, the samskaras are these energies that gets these patterns that get trapped in the body, the mind, and they're really just made up of action, desire, and, um, oh, what's the third one? Action. So I have a, I have a, I take an action, go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I, oh, memory creates a memory. I liked it. So what do I do? I do it again the next morning and then I do it again. And so we're really just a com compilation of, of these three things. It's almost like a circle, right? Memory, action, desire, and they're spinning, or at least in my mind, they're spinning around and they're all, they're all over. And, and that's the collection of what I'm made up of. Deepak Chopra says we're an infinite number of choices. You know, you mentioned that we each get to make choices. So I'm an infinite number of choices. And these choices can span, you know, over lifetimes, depending on what your beliefs are. And so these these old ways of being just like we talked about with the food and the menu and making a different choice from the burger to the Hawaiian shrimp salad thing. Um, they, they have to be unraveled. And I think that's why for myself, work like Byron Katie's work, she, she does something called the work. And it's a four, four question turnaround, where you literally take your mind and you put it on paper. So you're capturing your mind, you're putting it on paper, and then you're questioning, you're inquiring. You're not just, you begin to, I had to begin to stop believing everything that floated through my head and begin to actually question what, wait a minute, how do I even know this is true? Like, who told me this is true? Where did this come from? And like you said, we make it through childhood and adolescent, and we're really just spewing that which we've heard or experienced up to that point. And so for me, it's been in complete from the time I met Katie till now. And in recovery, they have a process like that. And you know, there are many, um, many systems, I'm sure to inquire and surrender, let go of these old ways of being. It's like that had to happen for many, many years before I got to the place where I could even experience awareness, which I would is synonymous to, to me, to words like the spirit of the universe. You know, when I am experiencing something greater than my mental, physical and body, it's I would call I would call it the spirit of the universe, or I, you know, I love the word to awareness. But the thinking mind, there's always something else that's going to pop up, right? We're living in a mental and physical world. So we're going to have experiences where things pop up. So I, I don't know if people people stay there. And that was what we were talking about over lunch, you know, someone like Ramana Maharshi, someone like the Buddha, someone like Christ, it sounds like these people stayed there. <laughs> but I don't know, I, I didn't meet them personally. And then there are people that I would say today, like Michael Singer or Eckhart Tolle or Chuck C. I, I mean, Michael Singer and Eckhart Tolle are still here with us in physical and mental form. I, to me, they seem pretty awake. I sat with Eckhart. I, that man seemed pretty, like, pretty unmoving. You know, I sat with Gongaji. She seems pretty still. I have looked into Katie's eyes. I have 
been with Katie. She went shopping with her at Soho. <laughs> the woman is awake, I, you know, I, it's, but I'm not in their experience. So I don't, I can't, you know, I can't know. I can only know for myself that I am completely and utterly awake and aware until I'm not. And then the universe is screaming, wake up, wake up. Like the analogy that I shared about before. Well, yeah, I had this yesterday. You and I were talking, you asked me how I was doing. And I said, basically, I'm just, I'm not okay today. And then I told a story about how not okay with me, it was to not feel okay. And so in this, and then of course, and that, that is mind. Mind is taking a state of being and judging it, telling a story about it, packaging it and, and saying wrong, bad, unspiritual, and then handing it to me, like, go fix yourself. And until you can, then you deserve to feel like this. And you're laughing. I am, Tell me why you're laughing. I'm, I'm laughing because when you said marketing it, I thought, oh my God, I've never thought about the ego in that way. Like the oh. ego is literally marketing itself to itself. Yeah. <laughs> it's and we buy it. We freaking buy it. It's our crap. And we do it. And well, then I'm like, there's a blue purse. We it's package it. We package it so beautifully, right? We do, It's freaking Bergdorf Goodman stuff. Exactly. Right? It's like red ribbon, gorgeous. Here you go. Ego just serves it to itself. <gasps> but what about this? And then the new story just comes out. I mean, I love that marketing. We market it. Well, and I just want to cry because it's, we do not want to deal with the fact of pain. So we have to make it bad. And I'll just use me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in pain because mind says that means I've done something wrong. Because if I could manage or make it so that I'm not in pain or sad, then I'm somehow better or more evolved. But I'm not going to transcend human experience or am I? Whereas I, again, I'm, I love that. Or am I? I mean, I love that I? you're adding that in. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, you, you know, we've talked, I'm going through grief and it's, it's uncharted territory. Grief isn't uncharted, but mine is uncharted for me. And I've had lots of different kinds of things in life, but nothing like this. And so it's difficult for me. And I guess where my growing is, is not resisting what is not labeling it, not judging it and allowing there to be hard days and not think that that means that I, I shouldn't be here or I'm a waste or I'm doing it wrong or I don't have a relationship with God because it hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the thought. The thought is the only thing that stands in the way of my freedom. It's the thought. I had a friend recently reach out to me and she was just really distraught, you know, really been on this path for a long time, working, doing healing journey. And she said, I just don't know what to do. I don't feel connected. I just don't feel connected. I haven't felt connected in days. And we had seen each other 
during this week or so that she really felt disconnected and was at her wits end. And I shared with her some really, you know, I, I, cause I identify with that, like losing the connection and literally not wanting to be here in the physical and mental world anymore. I've been there. So I shared her, I shared that with her and the experience of that. And it was a few days later, she reached out to me in a text and she just said, I still don't feel connected. I don't know what's wrong. And I said, well, why do you need to feel connected? Can you just be disconnected? And she texted back, well, what do you mean? The whole point of all this is so that I feel connected. So that I, I mean, isn't that the point that we feel, you know, I get in a position of neutrality, I feel safe and protected. And I said, the reality is you are safe and protected and all, you can't not be connected from that which you are. <laughs> the, that's the reality. You're just the thought that you're not connected is giving you all this pain. Can you just let go of the thought and be as you are? And then we actually saw her today and she was a different person. She was back to her laughing, you know, just telling stories of her mind and cutting up and the joy and the harmony and I could see it through her. So a lot of times, or actually I shouldn't say that, I should say every time I'm in pain, it's because I'm holding a thought I think I shouldn't be holding, or I'm holding a collection of thoughts, which is a story that I'm telling about myself that isn't true. It's a delusion. That's what Katie's work gets to the root of. You go into the story and you see that the story is the lie. And as soon as we become aware that it's the actual thought I'm thinking that I should be different than I am, it's like a bubble and it pops. And that's, I think we've, I did talk to you before on the podcast about Gangaji's work and Gangaji's work is, okay, you're afraid. So be afraid, go into, and you and I have done this work together, you know, go into the depth of the feeling. The, the ego doesn't want to do that. The ego wants to go into the story. It wants to do exactly what you said. It wants to market it and sell it to you. It doesn't want to dismantle. It doesn't want to be ignored. And that's why meditation is so crucial, right? Because meditation is the strengthening of our turning, which we have this in the principles of the, in the 12 step recovery in the 10th step where we turn away from the mind, from the ego. And we, what do we turn towards? We turn toward prayer and prayer, really prayer for me is deep listening. It's listening and meditation, a practice of meditation gives us that skill, the training. It's like the muscle. It trains us to become more comfortable with stillness, with silence, so that we can experience the space between our thoughts, also known as the gap. And we bump into ourselves in that place. And then we recognize, oh my God. And we see the lie. We see, we see the lie we've been telling ourselves. And so once we see the lie and we experience the space or the world of the spirit or the oneness or the higher, whatever, whatever word you want to use, 
we experience that which is greater than the mind and the body, we want more of it. Now, who wants more of it at first? The ego, right? The ego wants more of it. But this, this is okay, because this keeps us in the practice, right? So it keeps us setting the timer. It keeps us in the practice of doing the work, the four question turnaround or doing an inventory and recovery. So the ego can really help us out, right? Because the ego, what it's really what it is, is we're all one. There's only one. <laughs> so the ego's here to wake us up too. So it's not even an enemy. It's, it's, it's just all here for us to wake up. That's it. That's what I was thinking about was the gap was if I can have a feeling and before I attach a thought to the feeling, let there be a gap. So I see a picture of my mother, or I get a text message or an email, and I feel that, that jolt of pain, gap, gap, breathe into the gap, breathe into the gap. This is, it is, I can be with what is, instead of telling a story about that's all just collection of thoughts, ego thoughts, you should, it should, why? What if all, blah, 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 right? And that gap is kind of the pause that we talk about. And no matter how disciplined our practices are, there, continue, there will continue to be times where I miss the first opportunity for the gap. Well, if you're experiencing pain, I would, I would say go into the pain. Yeah. Right? I can't produce the gap. We can't produce the gap. <laughs> we don't have that kind of if we if we could i i think i would just stay there <laughs> right. i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be here i'd just be buddha sitting under a tree mm. <laughs> oh but we can't do that so it would be wonderful if we could actually choose the gap but but we can't all we can choose is reality right so can i live in reality and and the reality is I am experiencing pain. And so I would go to the depth of the pain detached from the mind. If the mind starts to tell a story about the pain, and that's where we go all the way back to our first podcast, going into the body and feeling, well, where is this pain? Gangaji used to say, okay, well, where is this pain? You'd go up and sit with her, like on the stage area, and she'd be like, okay, so show me this pain. Where, where is it? <laughs> and then you'd sit there and you'd be like, well, well, it's, and then he, and, and everybody that goes up there just starts telling a story. And she says, oh, okay, okay. Well, but if you just, if you didn't tell that story for just right now, put that story down, where is this pain? There you go. And you just, you just go around and then finally, and, and of course, sitting, watching this is fascinating because I'm sitting there and I'm watching and, and then it, we're all watching. And then we all, everybody, not, I don't know if everybody, but the, definitely the person that's talking to her most of the time gets to the place where they just start laughing and they're in joy because they see that <laughs> They see, they, they, they know, and then the gap arises within them. The hand, they see the, they, they experience the hand inside the puppet, like we've talked about on a previous episode. And they're like, whoa, whoa, 
Now, then, then what happens is, or at least it did for me, I take that experience and I want to bring that experience into the next moment and to next week. I want to put it in a little box and have it for the rest of my days. But that's not reality. That's living in, as Dave said today, fantasy, right? Or we also use the word delusion. Expectation. He said, all expectation is fantasy. All that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I expect that next time I'm in pain, it's going to be like the last time I was in pain. And I was able to just get out of it myself by going into the center of the pain. Well, there's just another story that's keeping me locked and blocked. So there's no preparation. There's no security. There's no certainty. There is only uncertainty and the unknown and the unknown well we just want to express our gratitude for being a part of your day or your night or whenever you were able to fit this in and hope you'll join us again yes thanks for coming and we'll see you next time on the world of the spirit